Grab a Bible. There should be some in the pews in front of you. And turn to Luke chapter 19. And we're going to be reading verses 1 to 10 together. So while you're finding that or turning on your Bibles or whatever it is that you're doing, opening them up, um, let me just set some context for where we've been over the past three weeks since we launched in here on the 6th of October. So for those of you that have have been journeying a little bit with us, if you cast your mind back to two weeks ago, if you can do such a thing, it seems like a long time ago now, and we were in Luke's Gospel and Lee was speaking to us, and Lee was speaking to us on what does it mean for us to have faith? And it was a very challenging sermon. I encourage you to go back and have a listen to that if you want to, if you want to do that. Um, and Jesus ended that particular reading that we were looking at that day with the question, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Last week, Richard Barber, our ordinan from, uh, from Cranmer Hall, was speaking to us um, on the Pharisee and the tax collector where basically these two characters, Jesus tells this parable, these two characters are going to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee um, is listing off all of his achievements to God, how much he gives, how much he fasts, how holy he is. And then this tax collector comes and just throws himself at the feet of God and says, have mercy on me, a sinner. And we were learning a little bit about the kind of faith that Lee, the last week that Lee was talking about two weeks ago. And then just to wrap up this almost like mini-series, if you like, we then get a live example of a tax collector who meets Jesus. So it's, it's almost like the Bible knows, it's almost like God knew what he was doing when he wrote the Bible. But here's a tax, like Jesus was telling a parable of a tax collector. Here in the reading today, we're going to meet a real life tax collector who had a real life encounter with Jesus. So that's a little bit of the context of where we are. So Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10, I'm going to read this to us. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was short and could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. And if I have cheated on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this house today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that as we read your word now, you may fill us with the Spirit and that we may encounter the living word, your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So here we are introduced to Zacchaeus, who is a tax collector and an incredibly wealthy one at that. But Zacchaeus wasn't just a tax collector. 
Israel was a country under foreign rule. Israel was in the grip of the Roman Empire and the Jewish people were paying taxes to Rome and they absolutely hated it. In fact, the taxes that they were paying were a lot of money and they seemed to the people living in first century Israel, Palestine, to the Jewish people, they seemed like extortion. And the, God's people just wanted out of this. They were longing for a Messiah who would free them of this tyranny and this rule from the Roman Empire. If you want, they wanted like their first century version of Brexit, but obviously not Brexit. They wanted out of this political situation that they found themselves in. Now look at verse two. Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector in the region. In other words, he was a politician. He's in a position of power. He was in charge of Rome's tax policy in the region. And because of this, the people absolutely hated him. And we get a sense of that just as we read these verses, don't we? These 10 verses in Luke chapter 19. Now, just before we go any further, it'd be um, foolish for me not to mention some of the stuff that's been going on in the life of the nation in the past week. And what a week it has been. After months and months of what seemed like, will they, won't they, will they, won't they. And Parliament has agreed that there's going to be a general election on December the 12th. It's a funny time to be in politics. In fact, it's just a strange time in this nation generally. I've never known this nation to be more divided or at each other's throats or the level of hostility that we're seeing on the television, in the Houses of Parliament, all over the place. I've never known anything like it. Politicians on all sides are jeered and hated and mocked and scorned. Those on the right say that the left are traitors. Those on the left say that those on the right are traitors. Brexiteers say that um, Remainers have lost the plot and Remainers say that Brexiteers have lost the plot. Everything just seems so incredibly divisive. Here we have somebody who's absolutely hated and ridiculed and mocked and scorned by the crowd. And yet Jesus loves him. Now, I just wanted to say that just to say that we need to um, have the same attitude, obviously, that Jesus had. We need to love those who seem like they're on a different side to us. The church in this moment can be a real picture of prophetic unity and love, choosing to love one another despite our differences, despite our different preferences. Now, this passage is about Money, generosity, politics, power, and the Bible is absolutely about these things. However, the main point of the passage is that it's all about Jesus. And the promise of the word of God is that if you understand Jesus, if you get the gospel, then all of these other things that this passage addresses a little bit begin to make so much more sense. If you understand the gospel, if you get Jesus, just as Zacchaeus ends up doing, you'll see power and money and authority as stuff to give away rather than stuff to cling to. Something that most of us, all of us, would do to remember in this day and age. Now, the point of this passage is this, that Zacchaeus totally had his life turned upside down or turned the right way up, totally transformed by Jesus. And we're going to see as we go through these verses that following Jesus is not just about being a better person. It's not just about head knowledge of following Jesus's teaching, but it's about whole life transformation.
It's about salvation. Now, when we think about salvation or conversion or being born again, we probably think of loads of dramatic stories that we may have heard from our friends or in the Christian media or whatever. You know, stories about people who are absolutely desperate. Stories of people who turn from sex, drugs and rock and roll to live in this really clean life. We may even start to think about Kanye West and all of the stuff that's happened with him recently. We um, were running the Get Home Safe project in here on Thursday night from 11pm till 5am, just welcoming students in, giving them tea and toast and helping them get home. And the number of people who spoke to me about Kanye West's new album was extraordinary. And we'll get onto that in just a few moments. Now, dramatic stories like Kanye West's um, conversion are wonderful, but not every story is like that. So look at Zacchaeus in verse three. This salvation story starts because Zacchaeus just wanted a glimpse of Jesus. Zacchaeus had heard about his teachings, had heard about the claims that Jesus was making, had heard about the miracles that Jesus was performing. And Zacchaeus just wanted to check it out for himself. Now, if you're here today and you don't know where you stand with faith, you don't know who Jesus is, but you're just exploring his claims and his teaching, um, you are so welcome here, even if you're a politician or a tax collector. Everybody is welcome. And if you are just exploring the claims of Jesus, then my encouragement to you is just to be a little bit more like Zacchaeus and to keep pursuing those things. Now, often in sermons on Zacchaeus, the preacher will often crack a few jokes about how short, pe you know, at short people's expense and tell a few jokes about um, being, you know, small. Um, and I don't think actually Zacchaeus was that small. Sure, he wasn't the tallest person around. But remember, this is an absolutely huge crowd. It was going to be difficult for anybody to get a glimpse of Jesus. Now, if you're short and in a large crowd of people, you usually find your way to the front because the taller people are not going to be affected by you standing in front of them. You know, they'll still be able to see. Yesterday, Ellie and I went to see some fireworks with Lee and Rachel and Amara and Phoebe. And there was a pretty big crowd there and there were some smaller people stood in front of me. Now, I wasn't bothered at all because they didn't affect my view. So the real problem here isn't that Zacchaeus was small, because if it was just that he was small, he'd been able to find his way to the front of the crowd. The real reason that Zacchaeus couldn't see and get to the front of the crowd was because people absolutely hated him. He was a sinner. He was stealing people's money. That's how, that's how everyone else would have seen it. You know, he was a politician doing the dirty work of the Roman Empire. Of course, people weren't going to let, let him stand next to them. Of course, people weren't going to let him get to the front of the crowd. And so Zacchaeus climbs a tree. And this would have looked absolutely ridiculous. Now, given Zacchaeus' position in society, this would be exactly the same as our local MP or Jeremy Corbyn or Boris Johnson in this general election run-up, climbing some tree or some statue in order to get a good view of something that they're campaigning about or something like that. It would look absolutely ridiculous. But Zacchaeus did it anyway, just so that he could see if Jesus really is who he says he is. So Zacchaeus is interested in Jesus and his, and his persistence in finding out more about him. Now, if you're here today and you're an atheist 
or you're an agnostic, or you're from a different worldview, a different um, religion, then let me say this, you are so welcome here at St. Thomas's. While you are here, try and be a little bit like Zacchaeus. Be interested in the claims that Jesus is making. Be interested in the things that the Bible says about Jesus. And be persistent in finding out more, even if it looks ridiculous and silly to those around you, which it will for some people that may know you. Exploring who Jesus is is not always the most popular thing to do. So Zacchaeus is up a tree. And look, what's, look what happens next in verse 5. Jesus looks up into the tree and calls Zacchaeus by name and says, Zacchaeus, I must be a guest in your house today. Now, all of this is pretty remarkable. Firstly, as far as we know, Jesus has never seen Zacchaeus before. And yet he appears to know everything about him. He knows his name. He knows that he's not popular. He knows that he is not liked. And despite the fact that Jesus knows all of this about Zacchaeus, despite the fact that Jesus knows that Zacchaeus is the most hated person in town, Jesus invites himself over to Zacchaeus' home anyway. Now, this is a great reminder for all of us that God knows us each individually by name. In fact, more than that, he knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows everything about you. Now, the remarkable thing about this encounter that we see with Jesus and Zacchaeus is that even though Zacchaeus is hated, Jesus calls him by his name. I read a quote earlier this week that says this, the devil knows your name, but calls you by your sin. Jesus knows your sin, but calls you by your name. Now, for those of us that are tempted to be defined by the stuff that we've done wrong, or the stuff that we struggle with, or the stuff that's been done to us, and we get an identity from that, Jesus sees past all of that and calls you by name. Isaiah 43 says that even when we go through rivers of difficulty, we will not drown. When we walk through the fire, we will not be consumed. For the Lord, the God of Israel, has called you by name. You are his. Now, in first century Israel-Palestine, you only went to somebody's home if you were offering real friendship, real relationship and real hospitality. Now, why would Jesus do this when Zacchaeus is so hated? And look, the crowd are absolutely shocked, aren't they? While Zacchaeus is full of excitement and full of joy at being you know, in, in this new situation with Jesus, the crowd are displeased and they grumble. That's what Luke tells us in verse seven. And they're, they're displeased and they grumble because for Jesus to go to Zacchaeus' home is to welcome Zacchaeus. It's to say publicly in front of this whole crowd that Jesus welcomes him and accepts him. And as soon as Jesus goes to, Z to Zacchaeus' home, salvation comes. We see that in verse 9, don't we? Jesus says, salvation has come to this house today. Now, why has salvation come to the home of Zacchaeus? Because Jesus is there. 
And where Jesus is, there is salvation. Now, what I really want us to notice here is the order of things. Now, Zacchaeus does not walk up to Jesus and say, Jesus, just thought I'd let you know, I'm going to give half of my money away and I'm going to pay back everyone that I've stolen from four times the amount that I've stolen from them. And therefore, Jesus, you should love me and you should accept me and you should let me be in relationship with you. That is not what happens here. No, Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' home, loves him and accepts him before Zacchaeus has done anything. And then the transformation comes. Now, the order here is really important. And here's why. In every other religion or every other worldview, including the one that most of us inhabit, liberal secularism, you have to perform or achieve something in order to validate your identity. Every other religion says that if you do X, Y, or Z, if you follow all of these rules, then at the end of time, the good stuff that you've done might outweigh the bad. And if you're lucky, God might let you in to heaven. But with Jesus, it's the complete other way round. And this is such good news. This is the gospel. Salvation comes before you do anything. In other words, salvation is a free, undeserved, unmerited gift that you cannot earn. Jesus does it for you. Now, this is really, really good news. And it doesn't mean that we should go around doing what the heck we like. But it does mean that the good stuff that we do, we do in response to Jesus's love, not in order to earn Jesus's love. And look, if you only did good things in order to impress those around you, if you only did good things in order to please God so that one day he might accept you and let you in or love you or whatever it is that you're hoping from him, then even your good acts, even the good things that you do would be completely selfish. Why? Because they're all about you. They're all about you pleasing somebody else. They're all about you getting your identity. They're all about you earning your way into heaven. Now, just to illustrate this, let me tell you a story. This happened to me um, about three years ago now. I was with Lee in the last church that we were working at before we came to um, plant this church in St. Thomas's. And we were locking up the church offices, the parish centre, right in the city centre of York one day. And we were in a bit of a rush because we were going to cook Christmas dinner for the entire youth group. And just as we were locking up the parish centre, some Mormons came up to us. And they, you know, they were wearing their stuff and they had all of their tracks and all of their gear. And they tried to, they, well, they started talking to us about the Mormon faith and tried to, well, basically they were trying to convert us. And um, we were talking to them about what we believed about the gospel and about the Bible and about Jesus. And this was going on for about 15 minutes. And I just said to them after about 15 minutes, I said, look, guys, we're talking about all the same ingredients. We're talking about Jesus, obedience and salvation. But let me tell you what you're saying to us. You're saying to us that Jesus plus obedience is salvation. Jesus plus obedience is salvation. And therefore, I bet that when you go to your church, the Church of Jesus Christ and the Latter-day Saints, and you turn up for worship, your worship is joyless and it's selfish. Sounds like a hard thing to say. 
It's joyless and it's selfish because you don't know if you're doing enough to please God. You don't know if you're doing enough to get into heaven. And so you're turning up just so that one day God might accept you because Jesus for you, Jesus plus obedience is salvation. But when we turn up to worship, we believe this, that Jesus is salvation and therefore we obey, not in order to earn God's love, but in response to the love that he first showed us. And that means that our worship can be selfless because it's all about God. He doesn't need my worship. For all of time, the Father has loved the Son, who's loved the Spirit, who's loved the Father, who's loved the Spirit, who's loved the Son, who's loved the Father. And that's been going on for all of time. He doesn't need me to worship him. So the fact that he invites me to is just a sheer act of grace. And it can be joyful because I know it's not on me. It's not about how I feel. It's not about how I'm performing at church or in worship. Salvation's a free, undeserved, unmerited gift. Now, I think that this is why Zacchaeus is so full of joy. This is why Zacchaeus is so excited because of the order of things that are happening in this little encounter. His life has been totally transformed. C.S. Lewis um, said this, hopefully it'll come up on the screen. He said this, niceness is an excellent thing, but mere improvement is not redemption. God became man not to make better men of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of man. It is not about teaching a horse to jump better and better, but to turn a horse into a winged creature. This is the essence of salvation. It's not just about becoming better and better, but it's about being made completely new. So let me ask you this this afternoon. Have you been made new? Has Jesus got hold of your life and radically transformed it? Not through anything that you have done, but just by you encountering his grace and his love and his forgiveness. And for those of us that are striving to work hard to impress others or to impress God, and we're just tired and exhausted all of the time from having to keep up appearances, there's some really good news here for us. It's not on us. It's all about what Jesus has done. Now look again at verse nine with me. Jesus says this, salvation has come to this house today. Jesus is talking about salvation as if it's in the past tense. And again, I want to put it to us today that it's only in the Christian worldview, it's only in following Jesus that you can talk about salvation in the past tense. Why? Because in every other worldview, you don't know if you're doing enough to earn your place. Whereas Jesus has already done it. And that's why Jesus says salvation has come. That's why we can say salvation has come to my life. Salvation has come to my home because it's all on him. You know, salvation is not a process. It's a moment. It's an event. Sanctification is a process. That's the that's the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. That takes a lifetime. But salvation happens in an instant. 
when Jesus finds us and redeems us and rescues us and saves us. And that's why we can be sure of our salvation. That's why we can be sure that God loves us. That's why we can be sure that God speaks his affirmation and his love and acceptance over us. Now, as I said at the start of our um, time together, just looking at this passage, there's been a lot of talk about Kanye West in the past couple of weeks. It's been all over the media. It's been on um, the news. It's been on chat shows. It's been on Twitter. It's been on Instagram. It's been everywhere. And he's got this new album out that's titled Jesus is King. Now, Kanye West has long been a controversial character. He's lived what many would say is a totally immoral life. And he says, though, that recently he's had some kind of conversion experience and he's met Jesus Christ, that he's been born again, that he's invited Jesus to be king of his life. And lots of people are wondering how a man who's lived such an immoral life can suddenly be claiming to follow Jesus. One person actually tweeted this. I don't know Kanye West. But if he thinks for one second that calling on the name of Jesus will somehow forgive a lifetime of misogyny, blasphemy, profanity, and sexual immorality, he's absolutely right. 1 Timothy 1, 12 to 17. Now let me tell you why this tweet is correct. This is what Paul writes in those verses. I thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, who gives me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. This is Paul speaking. Even though I was once a blasphemer, a violent man, persecuting others, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his immense patience as an example of those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is Paul writing, who was a murderer, a blasphemer, in his own words, the worst kind of person. And yet in an instant, he met Jesus Christ and his life was radically and totally transformed. Now, James Corden just this past week, put this question to Kanye West about, you know, what would you say, Kanye, to people who are totally um, disbelieving of what's happened to you? Now, I'm not judge or lord of Kanye West's life, only Jesus Christ is. I don't know what's going on with him. But the process that he describes there is absolutely right. Leonard Ravenhill, a Yorkshire preacher and revivalist who spent most of his time ministering in the States, he said this, there are only two types of people in the world, those dead in sin and those dead to sin. Now, how does this kind of salvation, conversion, being born again, whatever language you want to put to it, how does it happen? 
Well, something that really struck, I've preached on this passage many times. And one of the things that really struck me, I don't know if I've noticed this before, but it really struck me hard this time as I was reading these verses this week. Um, you know, the crowd absolutely hate Zacchaeus. It's Zacchaeus who is the sinner. But who is it that carries the displeasure and the, dis, and the disgust of the crowd when Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' home? Is it Zacchaeus? No, it's, it's Jesus. It's Jesus that the crowd are grumbling about. It's Jesus that the crowd are showing their displeasure to. As you read this, these verses, it's almost as if Jesus is carrying Zacchaeus' shame for him. And again, this happens before Zacchaeus has even done anything. Now, Jesus did exactly the same for you and for me. Jesus loved Zacchaeus at the displeasure of the crowd. He loved me, though, at the cost of his life. He loved you at the cost of his life. And look, Zacchaeus was found up a tree and Jesus called him down from that tree. But where was Jesus heading? In just a few days' time in Luke's narrative, Jesus is going to be hanging on a tree himself, on a cross, carrying Zacchaeus' shame and his guilt and all of the stuff that he's done wrong. It's almost as if they swap positions. And Jesus takes on Zacchaeus' shame and sin. He takes on my shame and sin, your shame and sin, so that we don't have to carry it anymore. Now, if Zacchaeus's action, sorry, if Jesus's actions changed Zacchaeus, how much more should they change you and me? Zacchaeus went on to do some extraordinary things, not in order to earn Jesus's love, he'd already got it. But you know, the Old Testament law said, give 10% of your money away. Here, Zacchaeus is giving 50%. Old Testament law said that if you'd taken money from somebody, you paid them back with 20% interest. Here Zacchaeus is giving back 400% interest. This is radical life transformation. Again, if Jesus could do that for Zacchaeus, he can do it for me. He can do it for you.